I tried real hard to fit this thing and that thing, but it just wouldn't go. So maybe next time. If y'all didn't know, this is a high school. Um, somebody didn't roll at Troy Church this weekend. It's a high school um, that celebrated their homecoming this week uh, that we're blessed to share partnership and space with. Uh, so their drama department is actually presenting Macbeth um, later in November. So this stage will look increasingly political and scary and creepy uh, every week. So uh, you may not be a, a lit nerd, uh, but Macbeth um, is actually a story um, about political power and kind of lust for political power and selfish focus uh, just towards that, which is very appropriate for where we're at in uh, John's gospel today as we see political power um, at odds in our Savior in the crosshairs. Um, so we've been in John's gospel for a long time. I told you last week, I think we clocked it back to August 2020. And even though we've been in the same territory with the same focus about who Jesus is, you probably know it's just a roller coaster of different. Um, when we're looking at a, you know, something Jesus says, a teaching he has, or the past couple weeks we've been looking at his prayers and conversations with the disciples, a lot of dialogue. And you know, this week, like a lot of other weeks, we're in narrative. We're in real stories of real events that were really a part of the, the tangible earthly ministry of Jesus as he walked around. And that's where we find ourselves um, this morning. And uh, a story, and, and it's a story that's very impactful for me and connective to me because this part of the story... Um, as we kind of get right up to the cross, we won't go to the cross today, and we'll look at that next week, but we go through the last of three trials, kind of mock trials that Jesus will go through, look at the first of his beating, and it's through this account, and for me it was actually in Mark's gospel of the same part of Jesus' kind of passion story um, headed to the cross, but it is this place in the narrative of Jesus and his life on earth um, that God kind of turned the lights on for me. Um, It helped me understand for the first time who Jesus was and what he did and why that really mattered for me. And um, I want you to hear on the front end that growing up I did all the church things, was at all the things and knew all the things and just was a huge part of of church, a part of my life and culture. And I went through that for a long time without having a clue um, about who Jesus was and, and why it mattered for me personally, and it's, it's this point, uh, this point of the story where God connected um, the dots for me and where Christ kind of grabbed me and hasn't let go since. Um, and whether he has grabbed you in that way or not, I pray that we'd be captivated um, just in the fact that despite ourselves and brokenness and humanity that Jesus loves and, and presses forward. So we're just going to look at this story this morning against my typical kind of high-structured and pointed view. I will have a point. But in the name of suspense, I'm going to save it for the end. Uh, so y'all have to hang around. Uh, so I'm going to pray. I'm going to bring you up to speed first before we pray and read. Um, this is the end. Uh, Jesus has prayed in the garden, been with his disciples in the garden. And uh, a, a mob, a, a mixed mob of Roman soldiers and temple guards and religious leaders has come and arrested him. So he's in custody. We've been through two trials through two different high priests, and we're getting ready to approach Pilate, the the Roman um, governor here. So that's kind of where we're at. I'm going to pray, and then we'll be in John chapter 18. We'll kind of read as we go, John 18, 28. God, we just ask that you would meet us here. 
um, give our hearts and minds, imagination to see and hear um, just the scene at hand, to see the hard realities of human brokenness and sin unleashed on their maker. God, help us see um, through all of these steps, through the pain and difficulty, the sadness, the wrongness of all things against you, that you are perfectly in control and on a mission. God, help us see you, meet with you, be here with us. And we ask in Jesus, amen. So it'll be a lot of reading. We're going to start in 1828. Uh, we'll actually go through 1916, but we're going to read it in little patches as we go through. So um, the first chunk we're going to look at is 28. Um, starting in 28, and we'll go through 32 if you want to read with me. So John 18. So then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters, so they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered them, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken, to show what kind of death he was going to die. So just some situation. Pilate is the Roman governor. And just up to speed in history here, Rome is kind of the world superpower and they're taking over everybody and their practice, which worked really well for a really long time, is they would set up shop in a a space or area and give them relative freedom to continue to operate their their culture, to operate as it had in the past. So they're kind of just over all the natural existing entities in, in any one place. So they're the central authority here. And one thing that they did maintain control over was capital punishment when they would take over a place. They would be the ones that would hand that sentence down um, in any kind of case. So the Jewish leaders that are trying to kill Jesus need Pilate, the Roman governor, to rubber stamp this execution. They need him to carry out what they want to happen to Jesus. So even though they've already tried him and their authorities, they need to go to this final Roman authority so that Rome will will execute Jesus, will crucify Jesus. So that's what they're out to do. And Pilate says, what did this guy do? Tell me what he did. And I'll hand down the sentence, but they have a problem producing a clear answer that Pilate can get behind. And what I want you to see in this first part is just the craziness and irony in verse 28, where these Jewish officials take Jesus to Pilate, but they will not go into his headquarters. Because according to their oral tradition, if they even go into a a space of non-Jewish people, they'll be unclean. They'll be defiled. Uh, Something I lament that my kids won't get to experience is a ball pit at McDonald's. I had some glorious times. It's a great time. You never know what you're going to find. Loose change, fries. Uh, I believe there was a snake in our Pell City McDonald's one, and that's what finally shut it down. But I remember getting out of the ball pit, and you couldn't touch anything. Mom's like... We're going straight home and getting to the shower. You're defiled from this McDonald's ball pit. And that's how the Jewish people looked at the Gentile people. They're like, if we even go up in their space, we're unclean and defiled. So when they bring Jesus to Pilate, they will not even go into his space because they don't want to be unclean for the Passover. 
And I just want to remind you what the Passover is. It's a celebration of God providing a Passover lamb, a substitute for their sins, God passing over their sins. So they want to stay clean to eat their Passover supper while they have just delivered God himself over to be crucified. And that's kind of the state of things at this point. They're staying clean according to their added-on extra, extra-biblical rules while delivering the true Passover lamb to be slaughtered. So you know, kind of rewinding back to my just church culture life, I'm reading this story, hearing this story throughout my whole life and being like, man, these jerks, like these prideful religious people, it's their fault that Jesus is, is dead, that, that Jesus was killed handed over. Yeah, Jesus got the last laugh, but these prideful, hyper-religious, hyper-legal religious officials killed Jesus, and it's definitely a part of what's happening, but little did I know that it's a means, and, and still not the point, and I just didn't understand that. In my mind, it was these messed up religious people killed Jesus, and I want to tell you just kind of how God brought the, the, the true point of all this going on, but I'm not going to tell you that till the end. Let's read the story some more. I'm going to pick up in uh, 33. Sorry I'm popping. Henry uh, walking around made my little uh, pop protector fall off. He was getting into it. So uh, 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So we look back historically, we find out through some supporting texts that Pilate had been in this office for about four years, which is a, a decent amount of time, but this is still a foreign culture to him. This is a strange culture to Pilate. So he's probably kind of annoyed, like, in, interacting with Jesus, saying, what would you do to these people? Like, I don't understand what they're so mad about. You seem to be a pretty peaceful guy. Like, what is going on? I don't care. So we see Jesus clarify to Pilate that he is not out on this political agenda, that he is um, of an a, eternal matter, that it's about truth, that we look back to John 14, 6, truth that is a person, and we see Pilate probably cynically maybe seeing this Roman Empire take over the world place by place by place, you know, maybe in just this frustrated, not sure what reality is even more, saying what even is truth in front of Jesus? Probably ready to get on with his day, probably pretty apathetic about the whole situation, but he maintains Jesus' custody and he tries to release him instead through a tradition. Probably most likely not to embarrass these Jewish officials that held, held real power over his reputation to his superiors. Kind of the modern day equivalent to him protecting his votes, protecting his constituency and throwing jabs at him at the same time. So 
We see this guy Barabbas. We learn more about him through Mark's gospel. We see that Barabbas was tied to a murder in a revolt against Rome, um, against the Roman occupation. So this guy was an actual political threat to Rome. And Pilate, a threat to Pilate, and Pilate's control there. So these religious leaders petition for Pilate to release Barabbas instead of Jesus. Bottom line, what I want you to see is going on here. This is a, a flex contest between these religious leaders and between Pilate. Pilate is not validating their judgment. They're like, hey, this guy's a troublemaker. We want you to see about him. And Pilate's like, I don't understand what he did. Embarrassing their judgment in front of the people. So they say, check this out. We're about to embarrass you, Pilate. We're about to make you release a real political threat to your leadership. So this is just back and forth between Rome and the current Jewish leaders and who's caught in the crosshairs but God in the flesh. So again, me, young, looking at all this and very reasonable to deduct that there is fallen, people-pleasing, corrupt leadership and pilot corrupt leadership and broken systems that's causing the crucifixion of Jesus. And yes, definitely part of the means, but not the bottom line and not the point. I, I didn't understand that. I think I deducted at this point, these mean Roman leaders killed Jesus, but God picked up the pieces and it was okay. And if that's the case, it has little to do with me, little to do with you. And there was so much more. I'm going to read one more part before I let you in on that. So we're going to go to John 19, 1 through 16. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he's made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, Will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all, unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat at a, stone, at a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of the preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Just to recap this, Jesus is mocked by some bored soldiers, called to die by some Jews, evoking a, a superstition in Pilate. We see when they tie him to to the supernatural, he becomes afraid as a Roman that's very into supernatural 
realm, but in a very self-centered way. So he takes Jesus away, he asks him some more questions, say, man, tell me who you are so I can work this out. I might can do something for you, but you got to give me something. But we see Pilate's true God exposed when these Jewish leaders say, hey, if you don't handle this guy, we're going to tell your boss, we're going to tell Caesar, we're going to tell the emperor that you can't handle things around here. They take their manipulation one step forward and abandon, as Colby said, in our call to worship their cultural identity and affirm allegiance to the very country that is oppressing them, that they're seeking freedom from. We have no king but Caesar and lead the people to chant for Jesus' crucifixion. So again, I'm looking at this, and I'm like, man, these crazy people. Fickle mob violence, worship of power and influence from Caesar, status from these Jewish leaders, all of these things equal the cross. That's what I deducted, that's what I thought. And again, that's that, but has little to do with me, little to do with you. So I'm sitting 14 years old, I remember a guy reading this account again through Mark's gospel. Him reading this, and again, I'm like, man, these mean folks killing Jesus, but Jesus is about to rise up and get the last laugh. And God is definitely a God with a sense of humor. Um, I have a difficult time with, like, cheesy Christian cultural things. So I'm sitting, and this guy's reading this story, and these people, sure enough, come up to do one of those dramas to a song. And I'm like, oh, gosh, this is going to be awful. So... These high school kids do these, you know, a cheesy church drama to a cheesy song, and I'm, I'm about ready to, to clock out, to check out of this thing. So this guy reads this account, and this drama's going on, and on one side of the stage, there's this scene, and there's Jesus being sentenced, there's Jesus being beaten by the Roman soldiers. On this other side is just typical sins being demonstrated and acted out, and the kids demonstrating the sins have these sashes on their arms. So I see one of the Roman soldiers go from this scene across the stage to get one of the sashes off the modern-day us that's over here doing things, take the sash over and use it to flog Jesus, and then finally use it to tie Jesus to a cross. In years of cultural exposure to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the meaning hit me like 4,018 wheelers. The fact that religiously legalistic, prideful Jewish leaders didn't ultimately kill Jesus. Pagan, selfish, power-hungry Roman empires didn't, didn't solely kill Jesus. Fickle mob violence didn't kill Jesus. That God purposefully and in complete control, look at verse 11, you'd have no authority over me unless it was given to you from above, and we see that authority given to Pilate to carry out the sentence. God, in complete authority, sent Jesus on purpose to do this because of my sin, because of my brokenness. My sin sentenced Jesus to do what he had to do. My sin sentenced Jesus to undergo this trial, this execution. Your sin sentenced Jesus to this trial, this execution, our sin. God sent him to do this on purpose for your sin. For your sin. Your defiance as a middle schooler, your rebellion in high school, your excess in college, your materialism in midlife, big, small, mental, active, hatred, lies, lust, want, past, present, and future. 
the religious legalism that looks like the Pharisees, the pagan worldliness that looks like Rome, and then the fickle mob that can pivot from one to the other between breaths. In this seeming evil chaos, God in control sends Jesus to, to, to take God's wrath for this, for us on purpose, a substitute for you, insert your name there, necessitated by us. I think some of us church family need to, in face of our sin, feel the weight of these things having to be done for us. I think some of us church family need to see this payment paid and need to feel things lifted off you as Jesus does this for you. And I think maybe even more of us in seeming chaos and bad and out of control need to see God in the most evil-looking, most seemingly out-of-control moment ever be sovereign and good to build an eternal kingdom out of this mess. This this rotten political legalism. Remember, these Jews think they are worshiping God. They're not anti-God. They're God's people. They think they're doing the right thing. This is what religion looks like when we try to approach God in our own power. This is where it leads to. This is what worldliness looks like in its pinnacle, the most powerful empire perhaps ever to exist, ever, under Pilate. And then what it looks like when a bunch of us humans get together. We can't decide which one we like better. So we oscillate back and forth. And Jesus saying, I know about all that, all those tendencies. And I'm coming to see about it for you. So I saw that and I was a heap on the floor. And I didn't tell a soul about it. (laughs) And it took years of my life to figure out what happened in that moment, what I truly beheld in that moment, to kind of look back and be like, man, that's when I saw that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is, is personal. It's, it's for us. It, it's not this historically inspiring story that we respond to in culture and tradition. It's God reconnecting us in a relationship that we might know and love him and walk with him forever. So I'm about to pray And regardless of where you are in your story, if we find ourselves deep into that truth connected to Christ, that's why we would remember and remember that Christ saw about our sins in this space. If things seem out of control, that we would be reminded of a God that is sovereignly good and in control, even in the face of this. And I have to believe that there could be one or some that are in a place like me that have been coming and doing all this stuff forever. And it seems like this just distant reality or a cool story that provides just a foundation for us to have a cultural religion built off of. And you've never experienced Christ connecting you to himself, making you fit to be a child of God through his arrest, his death, and finally seen through his resurrection that we'll get to celebrate. So I'm going to pray before we sing, I'm going to just sit Um, silent in that for a little bit just to listen, see what God might say or might do. Let's pray.